Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Welcome, Dungeonistas. You've successfully found the latest episode of the Rugby Dungeon. Thank you for listening. Thank you for subscribing. And as always, find us on Twitter. I'm at jbeardmore. This podcast is at the Rugby Dungeon, and of course, there's the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast, the biggest rugby podcast in the world, with me, Tim, and Phil. Out every Monday has been so for the last four years, and that is at Rugby Podcast. I ask you every week. The message will not change. Please leave us a review on iTunes. It is much appreciated. Pushes up the charts. Does very important things which we need to carry on doing the things that we do down here in the Rugby Dungeon. A couple of announcements. Me, Tim, and Phil will be at the Honourable Artillery Company to watch Wigan Warriors versus London Scholars. Yes, I know it's a rugby league game, but this is important because London Scholars are building up their profile in order to get ready to play the Toronto Wolfpack, who are going to be the first North American professional sports team to play rugby league. It's quite an incredible story, actually. So we'll be down there supporting that project. We will be down there, hopefully, with some of the lads from Toulon because they'll be playing Saracens the same weekend. And, as I understand it, Mike Ford will be talking at the event. So come down, show your face, have a beer. That will be tremendous fun. There's also the Thistle Rugby Podcast, another one of our family of podcasts coming out of the Rugby Dungeon. These boys concentrate purely on Scottish rugby and they are brilliant. Check them out every week. I say every week, not this week. They've taken a week off um, in the gap of the European games. They'll be back at the conclusion of the Racing Glasgow game to have a European double. Check them out. Extremely knowledgeable, extremely good guys, and you should enjoy them. Today's guest is Nick Mullins. Nick is the commentator on BT Sport. Tim Cocker describes him as a national treasure for his flamboyant analysis and, uh, how can we say, descriptions. And furthermore, I don't think anybody in the UK has seen as much Premiership rugby and European rugby live in the flesh as, as Nick. And if they have seen it, if they have been to as many games, they've certainly not watched it as intently because Nick has to watch every play and describe it to you, the viewer. So we're getting him on in just a second. I think that's the end of the, the announcement. So sit back, enjoy the interview. And uh, yeah, here is Nick Mellons. <laughs> I'm now joined by the man who could be described as a slippery boiled egg. It's Mr. Nick Mullins. How are you, Nick? JB, I'm very well, thank you. A little bit slippery, but, you know, we'll get through this. <laughs> now, why don't we kick off there, actually? You are renowned for your sayings. Tim Cocker describes you as a national treasure for it. <laughs> Where do they come from? They just come from the deep recesses of a, of a, of a warped mind. Um, I've no idea, to be honest. I, 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 you know, we all grew up with with Bill, um, Bill McLaren, and and his his great his great phrases, his great similes. And I always, when I first started, I was kind of helping to fill the hole left by Bill at the BBC in mm. the late nineties. Uh, one of my laws, internal laws, was never to use an animal 
analogy because nobody could do it like Bill. And if you started, if I started to use the, <laughs> like a slippery ferret up a board of burn or whatever, I just sound like a complete <laughs> idiot. So I was, I was always determined never to go down that way. Um, but as I've, as I've got older, I've just, you know, it's just how I, how I think when I'm watching the game and some of them stick and some of them don't. And, you know, like a slippery boiled egg seems to have stuck for some reason. Well, that's not the only one. You've got a little dump truck. You've got small commuter train on a Lancashire regional line. Oh yeah, who was that? Was that was that Tom? No, was that, that Thomas Waldron? I think um, both of them were um, uh, Ben Youngs. Uh, Tom Youngs. Tom Youngs. Tom, yeah, Tom Youngs is the um, is the little dump. No, uh, Ellis. No, Ellis. Ellis Genge is Stone Genge, which I've kind of yeah. you know worked around with you guys a little bit. <laughs> um, the little dumper truck is Harry Thacker. Yes, it is. I take Harry it back. Harry Thacker. I take it back. Yeah, but am I the only one who sees that? I mean, am I so mentally warped that well, when you see somebody like Harry Thacker charging around, that you, you, you all you see is a is a rugby player running around on the pitch, or do you see other things as well? Please no, tell me it's not just me. No, no. What I think you do is I think you redefine reality for me. <laughs> I never considered boiled eggs to be slippery, and then you mention it, and then actually, yeah, it makes makes perfect sense. Every time I look at a boiled egg now, I wonder how will I grab hold of that. So, well, especially when it's hot. Exactly. See, I've, got lots of, I've got lots of mates who say that boiled eggs aren't slippery, <laughs> uh, and it is just further side of my increasing lunacy. Actually, what really worried me most of all was when you were talking about it on uh, on the rather wonderful Egg Chasers podcast. If I can give that a plug before you do, of course, uh, yeah. a couple of a couple of weeks later, uh, and and you said the the problem you have with phrases like that is that when I start to suffer memory loss and some kind of, you know, degenerative mental disease. How will you know? <laughs> and I was driving, I think I was driving to Exeter that day and it troubled me for the rest of the day. Uh, uh, you know, and you've really got under me a little bit. So I think very carefully before I say those things in the future. Yeah, well, do you know the thing that would worry me is if you're just like freestyling away and you've made something up, are you not worried that you're one day going to end up in that hole? Do you know when, you know, the classic one is Nick Faldo gets his wife to kiss his balls or Gibson <laughs> likes to play inside his mates, that, that sort of thing. Yeah, although the, it is reassuring to know that should I ever head down that kind of, you know, double entendre <laughs> avenue or whatever we want to call it, I will be supported fully by my mates in the commentary box, Austin Healy and Ben Kay. Um, who, who are never into that kind of thing and will, will, will red flag occasions when I might be heading down routes that I'd rather reverse out of. Um, do you know, I think, and I'd be really interested to get your, 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 your thoughts on this, JB, and I hope, I hope that folk listening kind of get this as well, that those little phrases almost come out of the way we, we do rugby on BT Sport. Um, because I like to think, and I, when, when, when me, Ben, and Oz first started on ESPN a few years back, when ESPN gave it, gave it a go for three years, um, I think we, w- without talking about it amongst us as a, as a trio, we quite like the idea that if we were gabbering on about the matches of three, we were the, we were the three middle-aged blokes in the stands that you wouldn't mind sitting next to. Or overhearing, oh, we, we we weren't too annoying, uh, and you'd you quite like to join in the conversation, and you'd learn a little bit maybe if you were listening to to, to Ben and us talk about the game, and you'd find a little bit of it entertaining, and we wouldn't overdo it. So so that's that's my kind of baseline really, um, and I think that's how we watch it as fans. You know, we don't 
we don't take the game overly seriously when we're watching it in the in the stands, and that's that's what we try to recreate on BT. I think whether we do it or not, you know, only only you can judge. But I think I think that's where where, where lines like slippery ball there come from because we're we're just a bit loose. You know, we're not taking ourselves overly seriously, and and, and that's the net result really. Well, it certainly brightens up a dull grey Sunday afternoon with seven back-to-back reset scrums. So for me, that's where the real value is. Yeah, what's interesting about that is that because we do three, and here's another point about about what we do on BT and what we did on ESPN as well. When you do three games a weekend of Aviva Premiership, um, I think you've got a little bit more license to to, to add a little bit more colour, to, to stretch the boundaries more, much more in a way than I might if I'm commentating on a World Cup final for ITV or as I will be in a few months' time doing Ireland against England in Dublin on the Six Nations for ITV. I think you judge your audience, and I think I hope the audience we have on BT Sport feels it's it's in on the joke a little bit. It's part of a little club. Um, you know, we assume a certain amount of knowledge. We assume that that they get what we're trying to do as a as a bunch of commentators in the box. Uh, and, and I think I think that's probably why we do it more on BT than you might hear us. You know, if me and Ben are working on on ITV or Lawrence or or, or Brian O'Driscoll, we don't do it quite so much on on the bigger channels because I don't know how it would go down. Yeah, well, tell me this: Do you have any structure for this? Like, do you? I mean, obviously, you are trying to describe to the viewer what is going on play by play. When do you feel it's appropriate to cue it off to either Ben or Austin for a little bit of colour? That that's the job essentially. Um, I've always thought of myself, and I think about this all the time. Um, I, I think of myself as a little bit of a, a picture framer, really, if you like. So I'm the bloke who who puts the puts the oak frame around the picture uh, and creates the piece for for Ben and Austin to then work on, and they're hopefully the ones who who create the structure within that picture, who then create the color, who explain things to us in the way that. Um, a, I couldn't, and B, you wouldn't be interested in hearing anyway. So I'm, I'm, I'm very much the bloke who, who sets up the factory floor, um, if, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. And all the research I do in the week leading up to the match, and my job is, you know, on a week like this, my, my, my job is almost done when the match kicks off because, you know, the bulk of my work is involved in preparation and going to grounds and talking to players and coaches and watching 100 videos a match, 100, you know, matches back on the computer each week. So really, once we get to the game, once the, once the match kicks off and the ref blows the whistle, I can just sit back and hopefully enjoy it like you guys are at home or, 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 or watching in the pub. Um, and once, you know, once you've thought about that structure pre-match, it, it hopefully looks after itself to a certain extent. That's interesting. So what kind of things do you look out for? In terms of what? Well, I mean, in terms of... Well, I like to look for patterns. So, for instance, when I'm watching Leicester Tigers, I'm always aware that they've got flankers on the wing because that's how they play and that's where they get their ballast from for wrecking over. So, you know, kind of little things like that, which you wouldn't necessarily expect, but you know about. Yeah, absolutely. My, my, my job as a commentator, uh, and this is the best way of thinking about it, I made the transition from radio to television in the late 90s when Bill McLaren was 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 retiring and, and me and Eddie Butler were given the, the thankless job of trying to replace um, somebody who really was a national treasure. Um, the, the key difference between radio and television, I, I think we all understand it, but this is, way I, this is the way I try to explain it. Whatever you're doing now, wherever you are, if you're in your car, don't close your eyes. But if you're in a room, you can, you can look around this room um, and disc- if I said to you, you have two minutes to describe the room that you're in uh, on the radio, 
uh, tell me about everything, the size of it, the color of it, what you can hear. Um, is there a television? Where are the lights? Is it night? Is it dark? All those things you can do on, on radio because um, you're talking to, to, a, to an audience that is literally in the dark. On television, the skill is completely different because all of a sudden, wherever you are right now, be it in your car or, or, or at home or on the train, um, imagine your view now, but with a dozen cameras dotted around the place that can show you things that you can't possibly even see from your one perspective. And the challenge for a television commentator is to be able to add to that picture. Now, and I'm not telling you anything that you probably don't already understand, mm. JB, but that then defines what my job is during the week as a, as a TV commentator. I have to go off to Glasgow, as I have done this week, to Dublin, as I did last week, to Northampton, wherever I am over the course of the fortnight, I need to head off and find little snippets of information that A, you don't know about, and B, will underline the picture that you see on your television set. And that essentially, apart from trying to identify players um, correctly as often as you can, is, is the essence of the job of a TV commentator, I think. I see. And, and, and just out of interest, how do you discover that you are good at talking over games? Because Tim has actually made me and Phil, Phil do this uh, prior to the egg chasers, prior to recording, I should say. He puts on a game and says, try and do this. And we both tried it. And it's near enough impossible. What does it sound like? Give us, give us an idea. Oh, I, I couldn't. I, I couldn't. I mean, the problem I have, right, is I've got a natural stutter anyway. So any kind of pressure like that, it just breaks down completely. Phil's got a problem because he's monotone. Uh, so the only person left is Tim. And Tim can do it, actually. But it just strikes me as incredibly hard. And I don't even know where you'd probably get the practice from. Do they send you to, like, lower-level events to start with? or <laughs> To commentator school. Can you imagine? Yeah. Can you imagine? That's not a place you'd want to be stuck in, is it, commentator school? You just develop it, really. I um, I always wanted to be a journalist, and I always initially wanted to be on newspapers, and then I discovered radio, and then I discovered television. So it's a, you know, it's a long hundred-year-old career that that sets you up for it. Some people are naturals. I'm not. So it, it's taken me a long time to to work out how it works, and I've still not really worked out how it works. I, th- I think, you know, the, the, as I say, the key. Is, is providing words that, that add to those pictures. And the thing that you're finding hard doing it the way that Tim's trying to get you to do it right now is that you don't have any prep time. Yeah. And I, I would find it really hard. In fact, it is my nightmare. that I have two nightmares. One, that I'm, that I'm late for a match and I'm turning up at the same time as everybody else and I'm trying to push through turnstiles as the match is about to kick off. Um, and two, I'm thrown into a match that I've done no prep for. Um, and I think that's why prep is absolutely key, because as much as I might be able to pick out Premiership players and, and Champions Cup players over the, course of a, over the course of a weekend, if I've not been speaking to them during the week, if I've not been to see Glasgow as I have this week and spoken to Finn Russell and Stuart Hogg and Gregor Townsend and, and Chris Patterson, who helps out with some of the kicking, how can I possibly add to pictures that you can see already and add to knowledge that you probably have anyway from, you know, reading your own newspapers and going on your own website. So, so again, you know, that's, that's the job of the commentator. And, and that's where it comes from. If you, if you have a number of lines written down that, that are important to you um, and the opportunity arises during the match to talk about how efficient Glasgow are at the breakdown against Racing, then, then that's, that's the job, really. Yeah, I didn't actually see the, the Racing-Glasgow game, but I did interview Grayson Hart a few weeks ago. 
And one of the things he, he told me, the key aspects of the game is quit rucking. So it's interesting you mentioned that. Well, I, I, and, and where did I get that from? I got that from listening to your to your podcast. Oh, well, there we um, go then. <laughs> so, so, you know, Grayson Hart, the 60% man, um, he actually didn't get a run out um, in the first match in Paris. Uh, and I know this is, this is going to go out after the weekend's game uh, at Scottsdale. But I would hope, I, I would, I would hope, JB, that the sixty percent man will get a mention in, in in Friday night's commentary because that's exactly what it's about, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I, I I could hear you fascinated by what Grayson had to say about sixty percent of, of 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 the key to a breakdown is how the tackled bloke positions himself, how he snaps the ball back, how he makes it easier for the guys following in to clear out and, and to recycle the ball for the, for, the, for the scrum half or whoever it is. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, as another example, we were, we were talking with Ben Youngs towards the back end of last season about what Aaron Major had added to, uh, to Leicester in an attacking sense. And, and Ben said, he's made me think about my running lines a little bit more. And I'm now running much more in front of the ball than behind it. You know, I'm anticipating where the ball's going that much more because we want quick ball. Oh, we want I to, see what you mean. Uh, so, we want to, so exactly. Closing off the angle, uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. 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 And they're the kind of things that, you know, you will pick up from coaches during the week, little line out drills, what they've thought about in the scrums. Um, there was, there was a point, um, when I was talking to Gregor before the first Glasgow Racing game in Paris a couple of weeks ago, where he talked uh, of the work that Dan McFarland had done in the week leading up to it with line-out defence. And again, it's not brain surgery, but they've been shoved over the line a couple of times in the game back in January in Paris. So a big work on that week um, with Dan McFarland, the forwards coach, was defending the driving line-out. And that's where Glasgow essentially won the match because they they just drew the life out of Racing in an area where the French thought that they were going to be dominant. And we're able to to drop that in and say, well, of course, they've been using this um, uh, as, as, as the key practice during the week. And it, it it makes you sound less stupid than you actually are real. <laughs> uh, and it's, you know, it, it, it's the essence of all good commentators. I, I'm certainly not clever enough to commentate on a match without having, having given it lots of thought in the week leading up to it and having spoken to lots of people about it. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Um, what is the uh, atmosphere like in that group? Because clearly... Glasgow are in a bit of a transitional phase now whilst they're waiting for Gregor Townsend to leave for Scotland. Um, how does it feel to you? They are. They've had a strange old season. Um, I, I, think, I think the Pro 12 teams suffer more than anyone, particularly the Pro 12 teams in Scotland, suffer more than anyone during the autumn um, windows, the autumn test windows. And, and Glasgow are getting their test players back mm. for the first time in a, in, in a couple of months. But there's a real buzz about the place. And you watch Gregor going about his business on the training pitch. He, he looks like a good man to work for. You'd be happy if Gregor was your boss. Um, and they, they enjoy going to work. There's a, uh, having said this, the, you may well be listening to this, reflecting now on the fact that Racing scored 50 points at the weekend. And <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm complete chump but actually you know it, it, it seems a really a really decent place to work and Gregor stretches them and he he asks questions and I was talking to um to Finn Russell um yesterday about about their attacking shape and the fact that he plays um so much on the game line and he outcarted Carter um in that first game in Paris and I'm, and I'm asking him what he's seeing and why he's trying things um and he says I'm doing things now because two months ago Gregor was asking me why I wasn't doing this and if I did something 
that worked, Gregor was was asking me why I'd done that something. And it's just such a lovely questioning environment that they that they have there um, that I think all all the best working environment should have. Yeah, you know, the questioning thing's really interesting because if you go to one of the RFU courses, whether it be level two or level four, it's all about the questioning and how to get the information out of the player rather than you telling the player and almost making the player a resource in himself. Yeah, which is, which, is, which is interesting to hear. And we have resources like the Optostats, which we use all the time on BT. And I'm, I'm constantly during the week, um, we, we, we've got a clever little video archive system provided for us by Opta that allows me to watch any, any rugby match um, that's oh. played anywhere. It's, it's kind of the perfect version of rugby porn, to be honest. Whatever match you want to watch, you can, you can sit down and watch it at any time. The only, the, the only downside with, with that kind of analysis now and that questioning is is does it make the game too uniform does it does it take the individuality out of what players are trying to do and it, it takes a special kind of coach somebody like Gregor who will have this analysis at his fingertips um, to use to, to however best he sees fit it takes a special coach for somebody like Gregor to say in the end Finn you play it how you see it um, because that's the way I want my teams my Glasgow team right now and my Scotland team next summer to start to play. Um, so it's it's and uh, you know without without taking it back to commentary, it's it's kind of knowing what to use. It's it's knowing how to use the information that you have, isn't it? You know we have a pile of information going into games each week, as I'm sure you know. Tim Tim will have shown you the stats pack that we yeah. get, and we could just run through those stats and talk for eighty minutes about numbers if we wanted to, but people would be switching off in their droves. So it's it, it's knowing what little bits to throw in here and there as a commentator and as a coach that I think defines defines your success or otherwise. Now, with your schedule, you are, what, do you do three games a week or do you do two and Ali does one? How does it work? Yeah, um, it depends on the time of the season. This time of the season, during during the Champions Cup, because we're doing five games a weekend on BT Sport, um, uh, me and Ali will both do two games a weekend. So I'm this week preparing for Glasgow Racing on Friday night and then Leinster, Northampton on Saturday in Dublin. Uh, but during... Um, more regular Aviva Premiership um, runs. We do three games a weekend on the network, more often than not. So that means that over the course of a fortnight, me and Ali will do uh, three games between us. So one weekend, you'll have a you'll have a double header, and then the next weekend's a little bit lighter with just the one game. Uh, and uh, it sounds stupid, but are you are you actually at the games for double headers, or can you do it remotely? No, and this is this is a um, a really. Um, topical debate within the television world right now. Every single Aviva Premiership match that that we cover, we are at the ground. So if it's if it's Sale against Gloucester, then we're stuck on top of the main stand at, at the AJ Bell. More and more, um, as, as as finances start to kick in, um, you'll find that companies are beginning to use what they call the off-tube booth. Um, so we will do the commentary, as actually we did for Rassing uh, Glasgow a couple of weeks ago from a little broom cupboard in the studios in Stratford, and essentially we're just watching it on the telly, like everybody else. It was me and Andy Nichol, um, that right? And that's a that's a real challenge to 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 actually commentate on the TV and not lie, not not say that you're you're at a ground that you're not, but to be able to add information that that folk at home doing exactly what you're doing, i.e. watching it on the telly, can see for themselves. Now, without sounding like a cynic, I know that you travel a lot. I know you must go to, well, you've been to all the grounds. So which ones still make the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and which ones are you not really that excited about? 
Um, most of them, to be honest. Really? I, yeah, most of them in in, in their own way. Um, I love I love Welford Road. I love I love Richie Blackmore and a bit of smoke on the water as Leicester are about to stud the way down those those steps onto the pitch. Um, there's a fantastic atmosphere at the Stoop right now. Stoop's a Stoop's a good place to go and watch rugby. The Wreck because of the history. King's Home for for obvious reasons. Wasps. Um, when it's um, when they've got a decent crowd in there, can be can be a good noise as well. Um, I'm very easily pleased, JB. I'm 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 kind of I, I try not to be you know um, smug McSmug, but actually, how can you complain about going to see a couple of games of rugby each weekend and have have the opportunity to talk to coaches and players? In the build-up to it, so so I, 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 you know, without being a cheerleader for the Premiership, genuinely, I, I, I you know, I, I love the atmosphere and I, you know, I enjoy every ground that we go to. Well, I still get excited by watching at home and also by going to the AJ Bell. And as much as I'm a huge fan of what Steve Dine and everyone is doing at Sale, the AJ Bell does still have its problems. So. If you can get excited by the AJ Bell like I can, I do believe you that you can get excited by all the other grounds. Which hear me now, believe me later, exactly. as somebody once said. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> uh, so when your schedules come out, then uh, you don't gather around as a team. And go yes, Welford Road, brilliant. Um, no, not particularly. When the schedules first come out, and we, we'd probably get them five or six weeks um, in advance. BT will sit down with with Premiership Rugby. Uh, and hammer out a block of uh, six, seven weeks worth of fixtures. And as soon as they've been hammered out, our BT bosses will forward them on to us. So me and Ali will know what we're doing uh, a month and a half in advance. And at that at that point, I'm, I'm really not thinking about the match. I'm thinking about logistically um, where I need to go, um, whether, we'll, whether we'll have some rugby tonight filming on the Tuesday. If I'm doing Leicester against Gloucester, I'll want to go and see both teams during the week. Um, so when's Leicester's press day likely to be that week? Get in touch with the club. Um, if it clashes with Gloucester's, um, can I go and see one of the two clubs um, on a non-press day? Uh, and the clubs, I have to say, are, are fantastically accommodating. You know, we we ask an awful lot of them in terms of access to uh, to players and to and to training sessions that would be otherwise closed. Um, and and they bend over backwards, particularly at the start of the week when we're when we're doing that kind of mind sweeping, gathering up yeah. the information. They bend over backwards to, to let us in and help out as much as they can. Now, other than the excellent Rugby Tonight, there's also Rugby Tonight Extra. Now, <clears> I absolutely... Even excellenter. Even rugby more... Extra. E- yeah, yes, exactly All right. excellent. All excellent on BT. Well, I love Rugby Tonight Extra because it gives you that little <laughs> bit more detail. And that, you know, as you can tell by the podcast that we produce here, that's really what we like. Who comes up with the ideas of where you go? Um... And is that a production function or do you say, right, I really want to go to Paris this weekend or wherever it may be? <laughs> um, it's, a bit, it's a bit of both. The story of Rugby Tonight Extra is, 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 is an interesting one. And I'm sure that, 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 that folk at BT and, and Premiership Rugby won't mind me saying this. But when um, BT won the rights to the Champions Cup football, uh, it meant that um, Rugby Tonight, the original programme that had always been on a Wednesday, had to be shifted um, because that was going to be obviously the big, big Champions League nights, oh, and we didn't yeah. want to clash, clash, clash programs. So rugby tonight moved to a Monday, um, and Premiership Rugby and we were, were keen to have some kind of presence on the network 
um, midweek leading up to games. So we came up with this idea. Actually, um, me and Ali, to be honest, um, talking with with Titus Hill, the, the the head of BT Sport Rugby, said, "Well, listen, we're going to we're going to these training sessions." every week you know we're covering three or four clubs between us during the course of the week we're chatting to the coaches on the touchline we're talking to the players <clears throat> we're you know um, trying to get some sense of what they're going to do tactically why not just send a camera down um, with a producer uh, and just shove it over our shoulder and that was the original idea so just just follow us around Carrington when we're talking to Dimes um, getting an idea of what's going on it's become a little bit more structured it's gone away a little bit from the idea that um, it would be, you know, it would be fairly, fairly loose and freestyle. But that was essentially the idea that, that you know, you would just be with us as we're on our recce's around the clubs each week. Yeah, because it gives you an opportunity as well to really develop the character of the clubs. I tend to find that I don't actually support many. I don't support a club, for instance. <clears throat> I semi-support Wales occasionally. Do I support Sale? No, not really. I watch you talk sale. about them enough. You you talk like you support Sale, JB. Well, the reason being is because I I've met some of the lads now. And if they move, like if, for instance, uh, Tom Brady was good enough to do. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. A second, a second ever interview in the Rugby Dungeon. So every time he plays for Leicester, I will support Leicester just because you know someone on there and you know their personal story. I think it's more about, for me, it's more about watching the strategy of rugby and these two teams trying to figure each other out and win. And also mm. the personalities within it, and I think that's what you can do with, or, or what you do do with rugby extra. Yeah, absolutely, and and, and it's one of those reasons. I, I, and I remember um, one of the great things that that um, the, the, the millions who loved Bill McLaren said about him was that uh, he, he never shows any bias. You know, he's always completely balanced, even if it's England against Scotland. Mm. Um, you know, we probably know which way he'd he'd he'd, he'd rather go given the choice. But actually, you, you never sense that in the commentary. And one of one of the reasons I, I started to understand you were allowed to do that as a commentator, or, or, or almost you have to do that as a commentator, is that as you get to know these clubs and as you get to know these players, even, well, inevitably, we all, we all grew up with a club of our own. I grew up in Leicester, um, and I grew up on the terraces at Welford Road. So, so strictly speaking, Leicester are my club. But I'd like to think that, that when I'm commentating on Leicester against Wasps or whoever, uh, there'll be supporters of the team who aren't Leicester who don't sense any bias in me. And the reason for that is because I now have as good a relationship with with Leicester as I do with Bath or with Harlequins or yeah. with Saracens. And I know these players. And, you know, you built a, up, up relationships with, with you know, with, with, with Tom Brady, for example. So you, you tend to be – you start to watch the players rather than the colour of the shirt – 
And that's exactly what Bill was doing um, when he was at his prime. You're, you're enjoying the game. You're celebrating the game. Not concerning yourself with, with who wins. <clears throat> Just in, in the hope that the game is watchable, that it's a good game, and that players who are operating at the very height of their skills do what they do best and, and entertain us. And when that happens, you, you get suitably excited about it. So, so you know, your, your understanding through the relationship with players like Tom is, is that you're actually loving the game rather than the, rather than the individual clubs. And, and sometimes fans find that difficult to understand when they only concern themselves with the fortunes of one side. But, but when you get to know the 12 clubs and the, you know, and the dozens and dozens of players and you, 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 you have relationships and friendships with, with all of them, you just, you just lose sight of, of, of you know, the importance of who wins. Yeah, exactly right. I mean, when Wales play England, I do want Wales to win. I'm from North Wales, so I don't have a, a particular region which I care much for. But there again, Canterbury have been very good with us at Egg Chasers, introducing us to a lot of the England players. And it's hard not to root for those guys because they're genuinely nice guys. So, you know, I, I don't really have a team. And that's, you know, that's sort of how I watch the game. Mm. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I think, I think what, what we're doing is just celebrating the game. And, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to be a cheerleader. And, you know, I, I, I hope that doesn't come across. But I, I enjoy what the clubs are trying to do. I enjoy what the players are trying to do. And, and we, you know, we all love this sport. And, you know, sometimes it's, 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 it's too easy to be critical. Um, oh, yeah. You know, to, to throw tomatoes from the sidelines. But actually, that's not... That's not how I enjoy watching my rugby, and I, you know, I hope that comes across in BT Sports coverage over over the whole piece. Tell me this: Do you ever get much pressure? I don't suppose pressure is the right word, but much direction from the clubs as to what they want you to cover, rather than you leading the agenda. Um, I don't. I don't think we do. To be honest, we'll 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 have players who've who've got. Um, naked cameras coming, uh, naked cameras, naked calendars coming out for their testimonials um, the following month that they'd like to give us a mention if we can, or if a player's on his testimonial, we'll we'll try and slip that surreptitiously into the commentary. But but no, generally speaking, they 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 leave us alone. Um, I, I, I've never been I've never been led editorially one way or the other by a club um you know i i would hope that that they trust us to be fair and balanced with with you know whichever route we take yeah because i can't imagine leicester or northampton been particularly open to you this week what's what's really interesting with that and and this again is a fascinating subject we uh, we're going to talk specifically about about northampton because you know they're they're, they're going through a pretty rough patch at the moment yeah they um, really are you know, we, 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 we have great relationship with the club um, and, you know, I, I, I know and like the coaches and, you know, and I feel for what they're all going through at the moment. Um, we, that, that George North incident at, uh, at Welford Road a few weeks ago, put us and put, put me as a commentator in an interesting situation because we had to tell the story and we all know what that story was. Um, and the story made life particularly difficult for Northampton. Uh, and Jim Mallander had to ask answer some pretty tricky questions afterwards about George North's health and whether he'd been knocked out. And as the story unfolded, it became clear that Northampton, for whatever reason, weren't seeing what we were seeing on the telly. And and Hugo Monia, who who I have to say has you know very quickly become one of you know one of the great rugby broadcasters. You know, he's, yeah, he he's is. you know I, I hope you'll agree that you know he's added so much to to what we do as a company. But you know, Hugo was particularly strong on. George North 
being back on the pitch and how he shouldn't have been. So I, I felt, um, and you do sense, particularly when clubs are going through a difficult patch, <clears throat> that you might be saying on the stuff on the TV that, that they might not be overly happy with. Um, and my rule with this always, and it's one of the reasons that I make such an effort to go to training sessions during the week, is that if you are a presence at those training sessions during the week, if the players have have a problem with what you've said, um, if Harry Thacker doesn't like me calling him a little dumper truck or whatever, <laughs> um, he can come up and say, oi, you know, cut that out. Or on a more basic level, if we've got the pronunciation of his name wrong, they can come across and say, this is how actually you pronounce my name. So it's kind of almost a PR, part PR exercise. Us being on the touchline on a, on a Tuesday afternoon in the rain is important because we aren't some kind of remote body who just drop in for the matches on a Saturday and a Sunday and a Friday night and criticise and then don't get seen by the players during the week. So anyway, this, this Northampton business was, um, was, was an interesting one because I'd seen them the week leading up to the game at Welford Road. And ordinarily, if I was doing a match with that same team the following week, I wouldn't bother them for, for, for two weeks consecutively because there's, you know, not much will have changed in the week since you last saw them. So you've picked up all the recce stuff that you need. But I felt because we put Jim um, in a challenging situation and because we said stuff about the club that, that they might not have been overly happy with, I felt it really important that I went along on the Tuesday, uh, fronted up, and I was there to be shouted at if they wanted to shout at me mm. to make sure that the air was clear before we turned up on the Friday night at the Gardens for the Leinster game in the Champions Cup. So it's that kind of relationship that we're we're always always thinking about, um, and you know, maintaining the contacts that are that are so important to the to to the work of a journalist, which is what I am essentially. Yeah. Well, tell me this: Have you been to the training sessions of most clubs in the Premiership, or in fact, all clubs in the Premiership now? Oh yes, yes. Uh, any in particular that impress you? Um, well, they all they all do things slightly differently. Um, and you become very aware of this when you watch so many. I remember back in my BBC days when I was doing um, Six Nations on the BBC, we, we spent a lot of time with, with Wales as, as Warren Gatlin was first coming in um, uh, down, at, down at the Vale. And the first training session that he took that was on the stopwatch and was only going to last 40 minutes caught us all by surprise because you get used to taking root. Um, beside pitches so often uh, and then all of a sudden here comes Warren and saying we know we're going to play at match intensity for precisely 40 minutes uh, and then we will blow the whistle and we'll all wander off and that'll be the training session so you do become quite acute to or quite sensitive to to, to um to those kinds of changes um and yeah you know you you, you pick up little bits and pieces um you know teams tend to train how they play um, so, you know, it won't surprise you to know that Leicester spend a lot of time working on their set piece mm. um, and Saracens spend a lot of time working on their kick chase um, and the Harlequins as they try to um, modify their game um, under Mark Mapletoft at the start of the season would spend a lot of time thinking about exit strategies. So, so yeah, you notice, you notice that kind of stuff. Um, what, is in, what is important, again, from my point of view, is that if you're being given privileged information, um, if you're getting teams two or three days before they're actually announced on the Friday, then then there has to be a certain amount of confidentiality amongst all of this mm. as well. Um, so, you you know, you're constantly ba- um, balancing the fact that you've got great knowledge that that might make some good um, Twitter copy, but you, re- you really can't say anything until the Friday. Yeah, the curse of Twitter. Oh, 
Oh, talk to me about Twitter. Yeah, I mean, one of the things which impresses me so much about the Premiership at the moment is the resources which they're pumping into their training and their, and their coaching. If you look at, say, second bottom team at the moment, Worcester, I'm pretty, I'm pretty confident they've got one of the best training bases in all of the Premiership, unless there's a, a, a couple of other clubs which I've missed. Yeah, they have. I was I was there a couple of weeks ago, um, watching watching Carl and the boys going about their paces, and they they were training on a on a, a bunch of pitches that I didn't even know existed. Yeah. To be honest, I've, I've got used to them training on the pitch um, closest to the M5, which can be a little bit of a bog sometimes. But that was always the main training pitch when Dean Ryan was there, and obviously now they put down the artificial turf uh, within the stadium. They can train on that uh, a lot as well. Um, but yeah, I was going down a couple of, a couple of weeks ago before the game against Wasps, um, and they escort me over this little little wooden bridge, and I've no idea where I'm going. And all of a sudden, this vast acreage opens up, and they've got a couple of pitches, um, and they've got they've got amazing facilities and the the indoor facility as well. Um, yeah, and they're you know they're not on their own. I heard I heard Jim O'Toole talking with you a couple of weeks ago about about you know the millions that they've invested in the club, and uh, you know they 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 aren't alone. It's it's a, it's an impressive place, the Premiership at the moment, you know, on and, on and off the pitch. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm surprised by Worcester in general because if you look at the start of their season, they've got the, the single win, they've got two draws, and they're doing it with a bunch of academy products. They're doing it basically the right way, and then you t- fast forward it what five six weeks, and they feel like they're in real danger of being caught by Bristol. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if Bristol turned them over. Yeah, yeah, I think I think Worcester are missing the you know the likes of of Francois Hohard a lot. You know he was the guy who really pulled them up by their bootstraps last season. Uh, and uh, you know this this is this is nothing that nobody said before, but it's it's a sign of how competitive the Premiership is, isn't it? You know generally um, wherever you are, clubs can beat each other, and you know Bristol never you know nearly nearly did for Leicester um, a couple of weeks ago. So I, I I love it. I love that competitiveness, and I I agree with you. If I was if I was a Worcester fan, then I'd be I'd be a little bit concerned about about the kind of signings that, that Bristol are making as well. Um, Siali Piertau will be will be brilliant for them in the new year. Jason Woodward, you know, Piertau and Woodward in midfield. Um, I think I think you know they are they're far from out of the bonfire, Bristol. Oh, definitely. What are they four points off Worcester now? Something like that. It's not far. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, they're within they're within striking distance. That's for sure. You know, they're picking up picking up bonus points as well, which is which is absolutely key at that end of the table. Yeah, I think they're re- I think they're going to reemerge. Say second half of the of the Premiership. They've got they got Worcester. That's winnable, and then they've got Sale. Now I hope that isn't winnable, but I've got a suspicion it might be. And all of a sudden they're sitting pretty. But as a Sale fan, you'd be strictly neutral on that, wouldn't you, JB? Absolutely neutral. Absolutely. <clears throat> well, I do have this interest, which is I don't like being wrong, and I predicted. Um, I predicted Sale to finish six. <laughs> so, uh, if only just now, to save face. You would never get away. You would never get away with being a commentator if if that was important to you. Because one of the keys to being a commentator is is uh, a willingness to make a fool of yourself. I'm more than familiar with that. Do you get that? Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm I'm constantly made on egg chasers. So uh, no, so no danger there. Uh, I think <laughs> my best proclamation was the the Pro Twelve being a hobby league. And this year, those teams are on fire. That's gone well. That 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 was yeah. That's gone really well, hasn't it? No, it's gone terribly. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I have to say, um, uh, uh, apropos absolutely nothing, I saw Connacht in the flesh for the first time a couple of weeks ago at the Rico against Wasps. Goodness me, how good are they? They are, aren't they? Oh wow, they play 
great, great rugby. And, you know, uh, you, you get a sense of how they try to play when you watch them on the telly, but there's not, we all know there's nothing like watching a team in the flesh. I was so impressed with the way they played and they gave, they gave Wasps a right old... I think they tested Wasps' defence in a way that nobody else has done so far this season. They were... God, you lived in Galway. A, living in Galway would be great, but you'd have a, a season ticket for that place. They were just brilliant. Yeah, the way they play is very interesting. I mean, it's so skills-based. In particular, look at the pack. Look at the way that they move the point, the point of contact. I think they're a very interesting team. I'm very upset that they're losing Pat Lamb. And I wonder if this might be the start of the downfall. They probably had a slightly better squad. Yeah. They, they, they lasted longer in the last 20, didn't they? So the bench makes a difference. That's the other, you know, one of the things that you look at now in the in the premiership and, you know, I guess as a, re- a certain, certain extent, the result of our money coming into the game. Um, when teams make changes now around 55, 60 minutes, they're bringing on like for like. Um, you know, they are bringing on um, eight replacements who could very easily have started the game. And, you know, I think that's one of the strengths of the premiership teams at the moment. And it's certainly got, got wasps over the line against, uh, against Connacht at the Rico, that's for sure. Now, going forward with, with rugby coverage and how it's reported on, we chatted just a little bit before the podcast about maybe <clears throat> opening up things like players' salaries or how much they're getting paid or transfers during the season. How would you like to see coverage changed in the future? Or what... Uh, what ideas would you put forward if you had the opportunity? Um, well, I, I think in terms of the way we we cover the game, I, I, it's absolutely key that we we remain informative uh, and we we educate uh, in a way that we try to on BT Sport and you know with the likes of of O'Driscoll and Healy and Ben and Dricko and Hugo. You know, I think we've got and David Flatman as well. You know, we we've, we've got those brilliant blokes still really connected with the sport who can come in and and help explain what we're watching i i i think the way broadcasting as a whole is going is becoming is becoming much less buttoned up um mm. you know we've, we've we've undone the top button and we're undoing the you know the second top button as well now i i like the idea that that when we talk um what you hear from me is is what you'd hear if we were down the pub on a Wednesday night. You know, the 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 loveliest thing um, folks say when 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 they meet me is you're just like you are on the telly, and I think <laughs> that's 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 how broadcasting is has has developed over the last decade or so, particularly particularly in sport. I think there was a there was a certain sports commentary style which which Alan Partridge, you know, brilliantly latched latched onto. Um, but I'd, peep, I'd, I'd hear people saying things on the telly and saying things within a commentary, using lines within a commentary that they would never use if they were going to, order, you know, going to the bar to order a pack yeah. of crisp, a pint of carling. And I, I love the idea that we're, we're just easing back a little bit. We're not taking it any less seriously. We still love the sport as much as, as those who went before us did. But we're, we're just a bit less formal. I, I, I like to see – I'm always saying to the bosses at BT Sport, as an example – when we finish a post-match interview, um, and we have to do it, we're legally contracted to do it in front of the sponsors board. Uh, instead of cutting straight back from Sarah or Bafes talking to to Richard Cockrell, um, let the camera follow Richard Cockrell back into the dressing room or wherever he's going, and we'll see the television wires, and we'll see the the peeling plasterboard and the bits of mud on the wall, and yeah. the, the players littering the floor, and we'll we'll see Richard Cockrell. Um, 
shaking hands with Rob Baxter or Mark McCall and just just seeing under the under the skirt a little bit, you know, lift your petticoat a little bit, show 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 your ankles. <laughs> People are, are that much more media savvy these days. We understand how television works. So when I say because BT has a limited budget, um, I don't um, in Europe uh, always go to the match live. It's a, it's a it's a rare occurrence. But sometimes you know we are in a television booth watching wrestling against Glasgow on the telly. Um, you know, I, I I just think we can afford to be honest with the audience a bit more now because. We're all that much, you know, that much more savvy, that much more up to speed with how these things work. So that would be that would be one of the things. Uh, talking of kind of opening up the game, how do you get round what I see as the curse of media training? If you've got a one-on-one with a player, <laughs> how do you try and tease out of him what you want? Particularly if they're not, particularly if they're not, um, let's say, very talkative or that way inclined. Well, the key, the key, the key to a good interview is to put them um, at their ease as soon as possible. Um, particularly with television, because it's a completely unnatural environment. If you're even on rugby tonight extra, if you're at a training ground, um, it isn't just me and Richard Hibbard, as I was a couple of weeks ago, talking to each other um, at Hartbury College. It's it's me. It's Richard Hibbard. It's the press officer standing next to us. It's the cameraman and it's the producer. So it's it's an entirely unnatural environment to to be having a chat. So the first thing is to to do whatever you can do. Um, to to put them out there is one of the little tricks I always use with particularly with with, with young players um, who aren't quite so savvy um, is is to cut out that paraphernalia as soon as I can. So I don't want the cameraman saying, <clears throat> "Right, Nick, we're 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 now rolling, so this interview can start." Because you suddenly see the you know the the the, the young player stiff, stiffening up as if he's walking into you know a job interview or something. So I I want that to be. I want that to be absolutely cool as possible. Um, I will assume that the camera is rolling unless the cameraman kicks me, and we'll just start the conversation like we're like we're having now. Um, there, and, there, and then there are two approaches to the to the interview, and and me and me and Ali Eakin, uh, and we're laughing about this um, within within the office at the moment because we do things di- differently. Um, our nickname for Ali. Uh, is angry Al because he's the kind of Jeremy Paxman of of BT Sport. He gets <laughs> great, great answers to his questions. He's done a brilliant interview with um, with Eddie Jones recently, half an hour sit down interview, uh, where you know he'll ask he'll ask pointed questions. He's not afraid of asking difficult questions. Sarah has asked some very difficult questions of coaches over the last couple of weeks because I'm a coward. Um, I will do anything I can to shout, shy away from the difficult question. Yeah. Um, so I'm so when 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 Al goes, it's the producer knows they're getting angry. Al, when 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 I'm doing a rugby tonight extra these days, um, the producer knows that they're getting uh, BT Sports equivalent of Mary Berry. I've become <laughs> the, the, the the Mary Berry of rugby questioning, kind of softly, softly having a chat with them, but hopefully by having a chat, they forget they're on the telly and say stuff that they might not otherwise have said. Oh, I learned the hard way about asking hard questions. I think like what. 10 interviews in on the Rugby Dungeon, had an England international on. Um, I'm not going to say who, who it was because it's just not very not really fair. The the player was absolutely lovely. He couldn't have been a nicer guy about it. Some of my questions were awful, uh, to the point that I felt that he was quite quite offended. So um, I said, look, I'm not, I'm not going to pull that out, binned it, and from now on I'll only ask nice questions unless I can get away with it. I think, I think for example, um, I went to see um, Dorian West, a month or so ago, and you know, 
these coaches are under a lot of pressure at the moment. We we know that. But I learned a salient lesson when I was coming through local radio. I had four years at Radio Kent. And, uh, you know, again, at local radio level, you get to know the guys at the various clubs very well. And Peter Taylor, um, former England football manager, was in yeah. charge of Dartford at the time. And we had a good relationship with, with Peace. And <clears throat> he'd come in on the Friday evening sports programmes in Chatham. And he, he, he had um, uh, two young daughters at the time. And they would they would come in they were six seven and they enjoy coming into the radio station um and they got to got to know us so so much so that um peter taylor's daughter one christmas had a teddy bear uh, and she named it after me which is which is just about the the highest honor i've ever had bestowed on me <laughs> but you know what i'm saying is you build up these relationships with people um and you have to be careful how you use that relationship and what you say uh, impacting on them and i never forget Pete ringing me up um, when Darfield were going through a pretty rough patch um, mid-season one season. Um, and the presenter on the breakfast programme had said, how's it going at Darfield? What do we think of Peter Taylor? And I said, essentially, listen, he's under a lot of pressure um, and it wouldn't surprise me if he lost his job uh, in the next few weeks. And Pete rang me up, phone went at five past nine back at the desk. And he said, thanks very much for that. Um, I was driving my two daughters to school and they heard you on the radio oh, no. talking about their dad about to get the sack. Um, and it, I've never, never forgotten about it. And I've never lost sight of, of uh, how glib we can be sometimes talking about people's futures. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't talk about them. And I'm not saying that there are supporters at clubs who aren't doing as well as they ought to be at the moment, not feeling frustrated with, with what's happening with the players and the coaches. But I think it's beholden on me as a journalist to understand the sensitivities when I'm talking to people like Dorian West, that we that we treat them in a way that we would want to be treated um, if um, if we were in the same position. Um, it's it's not an approach that that people necessarily agree with sometimes, um, but it's it's the way I do it. And I think you have to have whatever job you're doing, you have to have your own rules, um, and, th- and they're they're my rules. It doesn't stop me asking. Uh, Nobby Dorian West, if he has concerns about the way things are going, but I do it in a way that doesn't make the answering of that question any harder than it needs to be. Well, let's end on a slightly lighter note then. You've interviewed pretty much all the directors of rugby and all the head coaches in the Premiership now. Which ones do you think are particularly engaging? And I guess, you know, if I was to push you, which one would you like to you know, take out for a pint? Um, well, I love I love Richard Cockrell. I love Cockers. Uh, 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 the first point to say is that they 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 they're all they're all brilliant. They're all intelligent. They all give you know fantastic insight uh, into into what they do. And it's one of the reasons why we're blessed as a blessed as a sport. A sport that yes. we've, we've got erudite players and erudite coaches who can open it up to idiots like us and help explain what they're doing. So you know every single you know all all, all, all twelve of them. A fabulous company, um, but if I was going for a drink with somebody, I'd probably choose Cockers. He'd be good in the fight as well. So as the <laughs> yeah. evening goes on, I'd feel quite safe. Um, and I, I, you know, who knows? Who knows where he will be in two or three years' time? But I think Cockers would make a, a fantastic summariser. I'd love to to work alongside Richard in the in the commentary box. Um, I think his ability to distill quite complicated things into into language that we understand is a real art, and Glenn Delaney does that. I know you. Oh, Glenn's brilliant. Talking to Glenn over the last couple of weeks, Glenn does that brilliantly. I think Richard Cockerell as a as a as a TV 
summariser, as an expert summariser, would be um, would be absolute gold. Well, I've been lucky enough to meet at least some of these directors of rugby in the press room at Sale. And I asked a question to Rob Baxter, and it's not until you meet these guys in the flesh and ask them a question or experience them in the room that you realise exactly how much gravitas they've got and what seriously substantial characters that they are. David Young at Wasps is 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 magnificent. John Kingston, you know, trying to reshape Quinns is 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 fabulous. Carl Hogg, you know, you can run you can run down them all. I can honestly say I promise you, because you know it's just me and you talking. If, if there was a DOR that I didn't like, I'd tell you, but but there isn't. You know, they they all do incredibly tough jobs, and um, you know, I, I I think we're too quick to lose sight of that sometimes. Com- completely agree, uh, Nick. Where can we find you on Twitter? Well, I am um, at yeah. and Nick Mullins. What because we- that's yeah because it's always commentary team now. Ben K, Ben K, Austin Healy, and Nick Mullins. Ah, so that, is that what it is? At and Nick Mullins, yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for spending your time and coming on. Really appreciate it. And hopefully we'll see you... Uh, which games you're commentating this week? Or should I say in two weeks' time? Um, I am doing Wasps against Bath on Christmas Eve. Lovely. And if you're listening to this next week, as you will be, you will have heard me doing Glasgow against Racing on the Friday night and Leinster against Northampton on the Saturday. So I'm um, so back into the Aviva Premiership um, when we're listening to this. Fantastic. Thanks a lot, Nick. There he is, the rather brilliant Nick Mullins. That gives you a small idea of exactly how much effort goes into these BT Sport productions, so you get that extra bit of detail or that extra bit of analysis that you wouldn't usually get. Remember, you can find us at the Rugby Dungeon. Find me at Jay Beardmore and the Egg Chasers Rugby Podcast at Rugby Podcast. More good news for you podcast listeners is there's also the Thistle Rugby Podcast back this week after a week's hiatus. They deal with all things Scottish rugby, so if that's your bag, go and have a look at them. And finally, the guests on next week... Well, there's definitely going to be a podcast next week. I'm just not entirely sure which order we're going to put them out. So Don Walder will have called in by now, by the time that you listen to this. got Alex Corbett-Sierro... I've already been to Canterbury, so we've done a special on how kits are made and built and produced and some of the dark arts which go into that, which you wouldn't quite believe. And you might even be able to get Nick Easter very, very soon. Oh, yeah, and also I've spent some time interviewing uh, Mike Forshaw and Paul Deacon from Sales Shocks. So one of those will be coming out, maybe even two next week, to uh, celebrate the festive period in a rather more special way than normal. So thank you for listening, thank you for subscribing, and I will see you next week. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.